Hey there, everyone. It's me, Colin. I get to share God's word with you today, and today we're continuing our study of virtue in the time of the virus. And the topic that I get to cover today is the Christian virtue of courage. And courage is so interesting, and it's so important for us in this time, because right now, if we really look at the situation that we're in, and you don't even have to look very hard, it's very clear that this world is full of fear and full of anxiety, and there's a lot of worry going on. And so this concept of courage can be really, really powerful for the world that we live in. And we as Christians get to show that God makes us brave. Uh, so we're going to talk about fear, because fear is the opposite of courage, and fear is the thing that we're dealing with so much right now. Fear is really interesting because it's our natural response to a threat. Something happens, and our brains come up with this concept of fear, this reaction that we have to this threat that's right in front of us. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we have to recognize that fear is something that God himself has put into our brains. Nobody likes to be afraid. It's not a good feeling to be afraid. But fear is something that God, as our creator, has hardwired into us in order to protect us and to keep us safe. So that when we see danger, we have these different responses, these fear responses of fight, flight, or freeze. And you've probably heard those concepts before. But as I was thinking about fear, and especially about those responses of fight, flight, or freeze, this one uh, story of something that happened to me somewhat recently came to mind. So last year in October, uh, my wife Rachel had a co-worker who was throwing this uh, charity event that was a haunted house. And so it was way out north, and we took a couple of my brothers with us to go out to this because we thought it was a good cause. We thought it would be fun. And so we decided to go out there. We get out there, and the first thing I notice is that there is a line all the way around the block uh, that people are lined up to get into this haunted house, which is just in this guy's house. And so we noticed right away, this is a really popular thing. But then the other thing that we noticed, which was really interesting, is as we drove up past the house and went to go find a parking spot, we looked at the house and just noticed how well done everything was, how well decorated everything was. There were gravestones in the front yard, and there was fog rolling through from these fog machines that they made. And so we noticed, first of all, it was really popular, and then second of all, that it was just so well done. It was so professionally done. And so what I started to realize is that what in my head was just kind of this lighthearted charity event was actually maybe going to be something that was a little bit scarier than I thought it was going to be. And so we wait in line, we get up to the front, and we go into this haunted house. And I am telling you, it was terrifying. It was so scary. And actually, one of the things that we didn't know was going to happen, but did happen, is in one of the rooms, which was actually like the scariest room, they had a camera rigged up that took a picture of us right when the big scare happened. And so this is the photo of uh, what happened there. And I show this to you, first of all, because it is hilarious. And as you look at that, the longer that you look at it, and the more different things that you notice, in that photo, the funnier that photo gets. But then also, just as you look at this, recognize that across all four of our faces, you can see different forms of that reaction of fight, flight, or freeze. We are all afraid. We are all having that natural fear response that God has hardwired into our brains, and you can see it strewn across our faces. Now, you may not feel 
like when you look at a photo like that, like that's the kind of reaction that you're having to this coronavirus, COVID-19 experience that we're all going through. I mean, it, it's just, we've been going through it now for five weeks, I think, but it feels like five years. And so at this point, nobody has that kind of look on their face. Nobody is going through that kind of fear response. What we might have instead is anxiety. You see, while fear is this natural reaction that we have to a threat, this fight, flight, or freeze response, anxiety is something different. Anxiety is what happens when we have that fearful response, but then we can't do anything about it. Anxiety is what happens when fight, flight, or freeze doesn't work, and the threat is still there, and it doesn't go away. And so anxiety is just the perfect way to explain the thing that we're dealing with in our communities and in our own lives right now, because we're afraid. We're afraid maybe for our health, but maybe more so for economic instability and maybe for this uncertain future that we face. We're afraid because we don't know how long this is going to go on. We don't know fully what we're dealing with even after five weeks of dealing with this stuff. We still don't know what we're dealing with. And so fear is natural, but it doesn't even deal with the threat that we're facing, and so that turns into anxiety. And if you maybe don't want to think of yourself as someone who is anxious, I mean, who does? Especially if you're a tough guy, especially if you're someone who wants to portray sort of this persona that you've got everything under control, then maybe you wouldn't think of yourself as anxious, but the truth is that anxiety works itself out in so many different ways in our lives. Anxiety could look like irritability. It could look like you just flying off the handle, getting angry about the smallest things, or maybe even just more angry than you should get about certain things. Anxiety could look like obsession and compulsion, maybe with the news. Maybe you're one of those people who's refreshing the news page, trying to get more information all the time. Maybe you're just being obsessed with work, if you're still working, if you still are able to go to work or do your work from home. Maybe you're just obsessed with it. Maybe you're, you're agonizing over getting everything perfect. Maybe you're just obsessing over home projects or future plans, things that you want to do after all of this mess is over. And then maybe your anxiety is working out as stubbornness, Do you ever have that where you just feel that anxiety makes you less flexible, makes you want to be, want to have things your way in your time, and it gives you less and less patience when people want things done differently? And then maybe, and this is a big one, anxiety for you just looks like depression. Maybe it looks like mood swings. Maybe it looks like feelings of helplessness, feelings of resignation feelings of hopelessness, of isolation, things that are so common in this time right now, even those can be symptoms of anxiety because ultimately we're trying to deal with this fear that we have, we can't deal with it, and it finds its way out in all these different areas of our lives. Today, we're going to look at the virtue of courage, and courage is the answer to that fear and that anxiety that we have right now. Courage is the virtue that we need to face the challenge of fear and anxiety that this moment in our time brings before us. We as Christians have the opportunity to show something so radically different from what everyone in this world is dealing with, and that is our courage. My big idea for today is this. God's presence is the only cause for courage. God's presence the knowledge that God is with you 
is the only reason, the only cause, the only ground that we have in this world, in this life, to actually be people who are courageous, who are strong, who are bold, who are brave, who face the challenge in front of us, not with fear and anxiety, but with confidence and trust in God. Here's a really cool verse that's a statement of the biblical idea of courage. It's in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. The prophet Isaiah, speaking in God's voice, says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, as you look at a verse like that, it may seem just like a Pinterest verse, like something you might expect to find superimposed over a a picture of misty morning mountains or a picture of somebody sitting on a dock or something like that. It may seem like just this gold nugget of biblical wisdom that's been plucked right out of the middle of the Old Testament with no context around it, and we don't really know what's being talked about, but it makes us feel good as we read it. But what I want to tell you today is that this message, this simple message from Isaiah 41 that says, fear not, for I, for God, is with you, that message is actually one of the major themes of the whole Bible. It's actually one of the things that God repeats so often in his scriptures that we could say it's one of the things that he wants us to know the very most in this world and in this life. And it's what? That we don't have to be afraid because he's with us. And so today I want to do something a little bit different. This is going to be a little bit of a different kind of talk because instead of just honing in on one uh, passage of Scripture today, what I want to do is something a little bit different, and I want to look at a lot of different passages of Scripture. I want to look at the whole sweep of the Bible story and see how God talks about His presence and courage that we can have as we look at the whole of the Bible. So let's start with the very first book of the Bible, and I want to look at a guy named Isaac. You see, way back in the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God speaks to a man named Abraham, and he speaks to Abraham almost out of nowhere. Abraham is not expecting God to speak to him, but God does, and he calls Abraham to to be the father of a great nation. He tells Abraham, I am going to bless you. I am going to turn your descendants into this great nation. And then the best news of all, I'm going to use this nation to bless the whole world. They're going to be my witnesses. They're going to teach everyone who I am in the way that they live and in their proclamation that God has chosen them to be his people. And so this promise to Abraham is amazing. And one of the reasons that it's truly amazing is because Abraham is really, really old, and he has no kids when God calls him to be the father of this great nation. And so the question is, how is God going to build a nation out of a very old and childless man? He doesn't have the descendants to do it. And so God shows his promise to Abraham. He fulfills his promise to Abraham by giving him a son named Isaac. And the really interesting thing about Isaac is that for most of his life, for most of what we know of Isaac, he is silent. He doesn't say anything in the scriptures. He's kind of moved around like a human prop until this really amazing thing happens we don't see that Isaac has any relationship with God. And Isaac probably wondered his whole life if God was going to keep the promise that he made to his father Abraham to Isaac. And so what we see is in this very interesting passage in Genesis chapter 26, God appears to Isaac, and this is what it says. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not. 
for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Notice here that God tells Isaac, first of all, his command is do not be afraid, fear not, for or because I am with you. In other words, his whole message to Isaac is, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to wonder if I'm going to be good to you like I was good to your father. You don't have to wonder if I'm going to keep my promise to you because I'm with you. Fear not, I am with you. Many years later, the descendants of Abraham do become this big nation that God had promised. They become the nation called the Israelites. And the Israelites end up in a different country. They end up in Egypt, enslaved to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. And it's here that we meet another man, a man named Moses. And you may know a little bit of Moses' story, but Moses is a very interesting guy. He's a, he's a normal guy. He's an Israelite. He's, out, um, he's outside one day, and he comes across a burning bush, and it's God speaking to him through this strange way, through this burning bush that he encounters out in the wild. And it's really amazing what happens here is that God tells Moses that his plan for Moses is that Moses is going to be the man who leads God's people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, out of slavery. He's going to stand up to Pharaoh. He's going to demand that he let his people go. He's going to lead God's people out of slavery. He's going to take them to the land that God has prepared for them. This is incredible. This is quite the calling that God is giving to this man, Moses, who had no idea before he started talking to God in the burning bush that God had any plan for him. Look at how Moses responds here in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. He says, uh, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And then it says that God responds to him, I will be with you. You notice what happens here is that Moses doesn't so much doubt God as he doubts God's choice of him. He hears this calling and he says, God, you don't understand. I am not the right guy. I can't be the one that you're expecting to do this absolutely impossible thing, which is to stand before a king, to ask for freedom of all these people, and then to lead them. He hears this calling, and he says, God, you've got the wrong guy. And notice that God's response to him is so simple and so to the point. He says, I will be with you. He says, Moses, you feel like you can't do it, but here's the thing that makes all the difference. I will be with you. I want to look at another example, another example that comes actually in the form of Moses' successor, a man named Joshua. Moses leads God's people out of slavery in Egypt. He leads them through the desert all the way to this new land, and then he dies. He doesn't get to establish them in the land, and so God chooses his successor, the successor to Moses, to be this man named Joshua, and Joshua's given another huge task. He's, he's told that he needs to establish God's people in this new land. He needs to establish them as a nation to take them from being this nomadic group of tribes and actually to come together and to live in this land, to drive out the evil peoples that are living there, and to establish them as this new nation. And so Joshua is understandably fearful to think that he has this kind of job. But look at what God says to him in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. He says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For, because 
the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You've probably heard this verse before if you've been in the church at all. This is a verse that you might see that's uh, painted on people's walls that people have printed out in different places to remind them that they can be strong and courageous. But have you ever noticed just exactly what God is saying here? God is telling Joshua, his chosen person who's feeling like he can't fulfill this role that God's given to him, he's telling him, I will be with you, therefore you can be strong and courageous. He's not just saying, I need you to be strong and courageous. I need you to do this thing that I'm calling you to do. He's saying, but you can do it. You can be strong. You can have courage because I'm with you. I will not leave you. Wherever you go, the Lord your God will be there with you. Here's another example, one more from a guy named Gideon. You see, many, many years later, after Joshua has established them in the land, the Israelites are starting to be threatened by all these other nations that are around them that are coming in trying to take their land away and trying to put them down. And so here's what happens. God calls on a man named Gideon to lead his armies into battle and to protect his people and to save the day. Here's what happens in Judges chapter 6, verse 16. It says, Gideon said to him, to God, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. My clan, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. Notice how similar this is to all the stories we've looked at, but especially to Moses. That Gideon has the same objection. He says, I can't be the right guy. Who am I to fulfill this purpose that you've put in front of me? And God doesn't say to him, Gideon, you've got this. Gideon, it'll be okay. He says, Gideon, I will be with you. There are, these are just a few examples of this constant and relentless theme of the Holy Scriptures that we see from beginning all the way to the end, and we could say it like this. The common theme is that God's presence is our only cause for courage. Notice, not in a single one of these Old Testament examples does God come to his chosen person who is feeling fearful, who is feeling afraid, who is doubting that they can do what God is calling them to do. He never says, you can do it. God never says, I believe in you. God never even says, I've prepared you for this. God never even says, I can see how this is going to turn out. I am in control, so I know that you're going to be okay. I know you've got the right stuff. I know you can handle it. I know you can be strong. No, God's message to those who are fearful, who are anxious, who are doubting that they can do what they're being called to do is so simple. It's just, I will be with you. God's presence is our only cause to be courageous and to be strong in the face of the threats that are in front of us. And when we think about how this applies to this situation that we're facing right now, I don't think it could be any more clear. You know, there's a lot of foolishness going around right now. The kind of attitude that we're going to show the virus who's boss. We're going to stand up to the virus. Well, you know what I want to tell you is that the virus doesn't hear you. The virus doesn't see you. The virus doesn't have thoughts. It doesn't make plans. The virus doesn't think. And so we can have this kind of attitude like, we're going to be strong. We're going to stand up to this evil. We're not going to let this get the best of us. But in the end, it doesn't actually make any difference. In truth, the only kind of courage that you can have against the kind of evil that we're facing right now is the kind of attitude that says, 
I don't really have any other option but to see this through to the end. It's resignation. That's the only kind of courage that we can have apart from God. The kind of attitude that says, you know what, this is hard. I don't know if we're going to make it through. I don't feel like we're prepared for this, but what the heck else am I going to do? So I'm just going to sit here and wait until it's over. The good news is, for Christians, we don't have to settle for an attitude of resignation. We don't have to sit by and wait until we can get through this thing because we believe we have a God who is all-powerful, a God who is in control of all things. We believe that we have a God who created this world, who is taking this world somewhere, and we believe that that God loves us. We believe that that God wants the best for us, that his plan is not a plan to harm us, but a plan to give us life to the fullest. True courage is that attitude that says, not I can handle this, not I have no other option, but true courage says, God is with me, so I trust in him. God is with me, so I don't have to be afraid. Now, here's the thing. There's a little bit of a problem with all of this that you might have noticed as we're going through it. If you look at all these Old Testament examples, what we see is that God calls someone to do something, to stand up to something, to fill a certain role that he's given them to fill. They feel anxious, and so God responds, okay, I'm with you. Does that make a difference? Okay, I'll be with you. Now, the question that we might want to ask then is, how do we know that God is going to be with us. We know we face a threat. We know that this is not going to be an easy time. We know that we're feeling anxious. And so how do we know that God is promising us the same thing that he promised to Isaac and to Moses and to Joshua and to Gideon? How do we know that we have God's presence? Well, I want to give you some really good news here. And it's the news that Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God with us. If you look at the Old Testament predictions of the coming of Jesus Christ, the coming of this great deliverer and Savior and Messiah, what you see is that Jesus is prophesied to be a very important moment in the history of the world. That when he comes on the scene, God is doing something different from anything that anyone has ever seen before. This is what we see in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah predicting the coming of Jesus says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that word Emmanuel is a Hebrew word that literally just means God with us. God with us with us. And so, in other words, Isaiah pronounces that the name of this coming Messiah, this promised one, this deliverer, is God with us, is that God is doing something different in this person, which is the culmination of all of these other examples that we've seen. From the very beginning, the promise that God is going to be with the people who need his presence the most has only been a signpost, an echo from the beginning of what God is doing in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, God comes to be with us in a radically different way. In Jesus, God comes to be with us as one of us, 
to walk among us, to speak our language, to look face to face at God himself. This tells us that one of the great messages, one of the great encouragements that we have in Jesus Christ is an end to fear. There's now no reason for us to be fearful or anxious because we have a God who is with us as one of us. But even in this, even in this, you might see that there's a certain problem. There's a disconnection going on. Because when we look at Jesus Christ, you might look around and say, well, Jesus, he's not actually here now. Jesus came. He was born. He lived his life. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead to demonstrate his power. And then what? He ascended into heaven. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's not here with us. He's not giving press conferences every day. He's not here to tell us how all of this is going to end. So where is he? How do we know we have God's presence with us if God with us is not actually with us? Well, here's some even greater news. Here's the truth that we see in the Scriptures, that God the Spirit is with you always. You see, as Jesus was going toward his death on the cross, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven, he actually called together his disciples. He brought them together into a room, and he gave them this really odd and this really troubling message, which was that I'm not going to be with you forever, that the days are coming soon where I'm not going to walk with you, I'm not going to talk with you, you're not going to be able to see me face to face. But then he gives them this amazing encouragement as he's giving them this hard message as they're wondering how could this be that Jesus is going to leave us, that God with us is going to be God away from us. Well, actually, he tells them in John 14, 16 to 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, he says, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is an incredible thing that Jesus says to his disciples. He tells them, I am going away, but when I go away, that doesn't mean you're going to be out of my presence That doesn't mean that I will not be with you. In fact, he says, as I go away, as I ascend into heaven, the Father is going to send you another helper, and that helper is the Holy Spirit. And what he says about the Holy Spirit is just absolutely earth-shattering. It is absolutely game-changing. What he says about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit will be with you, but more than that, he will be in you. And I don't want you to miss the significance of what Jesus has promised to us here, just because you might have some religious packaging around it, just because you might not quite understand the significance of it, because the message here is that Jesus Christ is with you always, and he's not just with you in the sense that he's all around you, but he's actually with you in the sense that he's in you. And that's not a metaphor That's not just some image that the Bible uses to talk about this powerful presence of God that you can sense in your life. That is the truth. The Holy Spirit lives in you, dwells in you. In the core of your very being, God has made his home. You are never without him. And so to tie all of this together, we can have the same kind of courage that those Old Testament saints had as God promised them, I will be with you. 
and perhaps even more so because God lives in us. There is no threat that you can face that you face apart from God's presence in you. There is nowhere you can go that you could be away from Him. There is nothing you could do that could send Him away. He is with you because He is in you. Once again, God's presence is the only cause for courage. And so I just want to practically, I want to encourage you, there are a lot of different ways that we can, we can cope with our anxiety. You know, you can do practical things like exercise. You can think of through different worst-case scenarios. You can keep a journal in order to work out the things that are making you anxious and making you afraid. You can talk to a friend. You can call me up, and we can talk through these things. And all of those things are great ways for you to feel better in the moment. But what I want to tell you is they're just Band-Aid fixes. They may make you feel better in the moment, but there is no solution to your anxiety that is permanent and that is lasting except for a growing sense of God's presence in your life. And what I'm not going to tell you today is that you can make God more present in your life. I'm not going to tell you today that you need to do certain things in order to make God come to be near you because He is never away from you because His Spirit lives in you. What I'm going to tell you instead is that you need to remind yourself as you feel anxious, as you feel irritable, as you feel out of control and isolated and depressed, as anxiety presses down on you and tightens in all around you, only remembering that God is with you and that His Spirit lives in you can give you the confidence and the courage that you need to face any threat that comes before you. I want to close with this ancient prayer. It's a really beautiful and really very simple prayer that talks about how we can have courage, how we can have confidence, but only when we remember the presence of Christ. This is how it goes. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right and Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me and Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. That's the kind of faith and the kind of thinking that we need in the time of coronavirus. That's the kind of attitude that we need to have if we're going to meet the fear and anxiety of this world with the courage that comes only from God's presence. Christ is with you, He is all around you, and He is even in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? As we go to worship, I want to ask you to come into an attitude of prayer And I do want you to be reminded as we prepare to sing God's praises or even just to sit and reflect on what we've heard and to reflect on the words of the songs. You need to be reminded that God is with you. You're never without Him. He is always with you because His Spirit lives in you if you have faith in Jesus Christ. As we go to worship God, we want to sense your presence with us. 
We want to know that you are with us and before us and behind us, that you're beneath us and above us on our right and on our left. God, we need to know that as we face this threat, as we don't know what we're going to do, that you will never leave us or forsake us. God, let this time of worship, whether we sing or we sit quietly, whether we kneel or we reflect in our heads and pray to you, let this time be an act of worship to you and let it be an expression of our deep trust in you and in your presence. In Jesus' name.